Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Joey Clark. Welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. I have not listened to this full album in... It may have been 20 years since I've listened to it all the way through. Well, you know, I'm I'm really stuck in the early hard rock, like Zeppelin. But I'm trying to get my metal chops up. So stuff that came out in the late seventies, early eighties. What about like Motley Crue, Livewire? Do you are you? I'm not. I know the hits. I don't know Motley Crue. This is where I listened to this whole album this morning. Yeah. Uh, Blizzard of Oz. I'm going to listen to Diary of a Madman. I need to go get some deep cuts of some Metallica. I know that's more nineties, but. Uh, no, Master and Ride the Lightning were 80s. Mm-hmm. And, like, I love, sometimes in the morning, especially when I'm a little tired and I don't want to do the workout, just listen to some hard rock, some metal. Yeah. And uh, it'll really wake you up. And I found a really cool thing. I do love when these albums get re-released. And, by the way, Baron Coleman joins me tonight, folks, if you weren't listening to Happy Hour before. I always figure everybody's just here for 13 hours. Right. So right. they know. Yeah. They should know. And if they don't, then then hi. Welcome in. Hell, hello. Hell, hello. Hello. But when they re-release and remaster some of these albums, they'll find outtakes in the studio. Really? And there's one outtake from Blizzard of Oz. Have you heard the Randy Rhodes outtake? No. And it's just a few outtakes from this session. <laughs> it's just Randy. Just like killing time in between. Yeah, just playing his guitar. Like, Face melting solo. Welcome to the John Don Radio Hour. I wish I could do it. I know, man. I can. I cannot do that. No, I can't. I, I can play. I like playing, but I can't do that. Well, it was a cool time in rock because... But a lot of people can't do what Randy Rhodes could do. <laughs> right. Well, it was when Eddie Van Halen and Randy Rhodes, and I think a few others, but those two names come to mind, were trying to, like, one-up each other. Yeah, come up with new techniques and sounds. And yeah, you go well beyond early, like, ACDC, go beyond Zeppelin. Yeah. Go beyond these kind of hard rock bands and the tapping techniques you hear in there. It's really cool stuff. And then... I don't know. You know more of this than I do, but because uh, you came more of age in kind of the 80s and 90s. For me, it's like the late 90s, early 2000s, early aughts. You know, you, you really got screwed because you came of age after the FCC ruled consolidation was legal. Oh, really? Yeah, and it ruined it ruined music because prior to 1996, if you wanted to if you wanted to put an album on air in every market, you had to go convince Rick Peters 
in Montgomery, oh. Alabama. Yeah. And and Rick little Rick Peters all over the country that that album was worth playing, that that single's worth playing. Uh, after consolidation, all you had to do is go talk to the head of Cumulus, the head of iHeart, uh, the head of Clear Channel, and you were on 70% of the stations in the country. But even what amazes And me. it ruined the music. And if you'll notice now, every country song, every pop song, they both follow the exact same pattern. Yep. They start off, at some point in the middle of the song, they're going to fade out as if they're over, and then they come back strong. No, but what amazes me with that power, how many people still fail. Yeah. Like, they push an artist, they push a song, they're playing it to millions of people, whether they like it or not. Mm-hmm. Like, distribution, advertising, airplay, yeah. over and over again, and still these artists fail. That's when you know you're really selling crap. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is how many good artists don't make it. Right. You remember when Arcade Fire won the Grammy a few years ago, and everybody's like, who's Arcade Fire? Well... Right. If you were listening to a station like The Gump, 104.9, our sister station, The Gump, you heard Arcade Fire. Exactly. But if you were listening to Top 40 Pop, you didn't hear Arcade Fire. Uh, and, it, and it wasn't just that. I mean, there, there are a whole host of reasons why you got screwed coming of age when you did. Because I was born in, in the latest of the late 70s. Um, you know, my first tape was Appetite for Destruction. I was seven <laughs> years old. It's my a good par- one. My parents never should have bought that, by the way. But the they full did. Slash album, by the way, is out now. Oh, I know. And I've heard you playing clips yeah, of it. Yeah, and I've Kennedy not- and the Conspirators was Slash. Yeah, but I mean, it, it was, there were different sounds available. Yes. There were different, there were different formulas for creating a good rock and roll sound, a good rock song. And they were available. And rock and roll played on Top 40. Well, and I actually listened to an interview with Slash recently, and he said that at that time, the Los Angeles scene was a bunch of people that really didn't have the chops, and guys that we could probably play their music, but they were all about the look. You got the big hair, you got the show, you got all the frills and the style, but you didn't have the down, dirty chops. And that's yeah. what Slash really wanted when they put together Guns N' Roses. I think Axel had his band, Slash had his band with like uh, a few of the other guys in the in the group. Stephen Duff and Izzy? Duff. Yeah. Duff is great. Yeah. He calls in every week to Chris Jericho's podcast. Let me tell you. A crappy joke of the week. Duff is really smart and a great mm-hmm. financial mind. And while they were all on heroin, right. Duff was like sitting down and creating a, an investment plan to keep Guns N' Roses solvent and did. And yeah, made them brilliant. all. He made them all disgustingly wealthy despite. The fact that they were all degenerate heroin addicts. Well, it, well, Slash said that came eventually. That came as the stardom came. Yeah. It's just weird. You think you're in kind of these bottom-of-the-barrel, like, dive bars in Los Angeles. That's where all that stuff's going on. No, he said it's after you get the money and the fame. People mm-hmm. start bringing it to they you. They bring you heroin. But that's, I, a, that's, a, that's a Lafayette, Indiana band, Guns N' Roses. That's really? where they were formed, yeah. Really? Lafayette, Lafayette Indiana. Indiana. Yeah. Purdue University hometown right in there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I like that sound. I like that sound a lot, but I saw something in terms of rights. It's interesting. Dire Straits now just made it a real thing that you can buy shares in the royalty rights to their music. Well, that sounds so, like a losing investment. Yeah, I know. It's Dire Straits. I mean, they're, they're, but if it's like Michael Jackson's estate saying you can buy shares in our royalties. Yeah, that's different. That's I'm you know that, that share. And and I think that's kind of a future of cryptocurrency, being yeah. able to buy shares in in things. You know, they're like golfers. an artist or a writer. Or they're something. golfers on the PGA Tour selling cryptocurrency. You know, you get shares in their cryptocurrency, wow. and uh, because that's how and bowlers do this. Now they're not doing cryptocurrency, but you know, it costs money to go on the tour. These tours, and so you can buy 
a percentage of their winnings over the next six years or eight years or ten years for that's the upfront awesome. investment. That's awesome. And sometimes you hit it big and sometimes you don't. Sometimes your guy flips. Well, it's an investment. Out. There's always some risk in life. Yeah, but Dire Straits, I mean, they're a, they're like Toto. They got a great mix of studio musicians. And they and they actually had the real number. I could pull up the article, but it was in the millions. They, oh, yeah. They're still pulling in millions now, but your share of that's you got to buy a lot of shares that actually makes right. some money. But that, that makes sense to me. And that's kind of the future where you can invest in people or artists. How's that not a security, though? Right. That's, not a regulated security? It, right now, it's in that gray area. Yeah, it doesn't sound great to me. It sounds like a security. Maybe. <laughs> but you don't have to that's have the this, lawyer this major institution in order to have the crowdfunding is kind of a yeah. basic way I would understand yeah. it. And really, you only need an audience, I said, of 10,000. You could have a really good living, a comfortable living. Ten thousand what? Fans that actually listen to you, whether you're a musician or whatever you're doing, a stand-up comedian, radio host. You need ten thousand passionate fans. You can have a really comfortable living. Well, you just get me to pay a buck a month. Yeah. Are you somehow monetize that? Yeah, you monetize that. No, they need to be passionate. It can't be like, oh, you got 10,000 subscribers, but half of them barely even listen, or they forgot they hit You need 10,000 listen to everything. That are passionate about you. Yeah. So, I mean, buy the merch when you put out a t-shirt. Yeah, if you look at people that are, are doing well in, uh, I think, terrestrial radio, but also online, they're, they have like 200,000 subscribers. Not everybody's obviously listening every week, but there's a passionate group. And you can get by even with 1,000. 2000 if they're passionate they love you and whatever it is you do you can do incredible things these days with social media it's pretty remarkable if you if you had 200,000 listeners you could really substantially monetize that 10,000 and you're telling me it can be done i my limited mind can't see how well it's done. like merchandising yeah. so like t-shirts and then people are doing things like specialty you know yeah. videos or segments they'll do for people that pay for it the money's in merch i mean i, I remember bill burr telling the story i may have told this on air i'm not sure and i think i've told you the story bill burr doing a, a i mean he's one of the he's the pinnacle of his profession right now he's, he's one of the top probably 10 touring comedians out there uh and he was in tampa bay florida after an event in the pouring down rain, selling his own merch on the side of the road. Yeah. Outside the venue. and um, Doing it all himself. Yeah, but he said that's where you make your money. You know, you get your booking fee, but you make your money off that $15 CD and the, uh, and the $30 DVD and the $40 T-shirt. That's right. where you make your money. Exactly. And it's a matter, I'm really trying to think big, folks. I'm just sharing with folks out there listening that I'd like to find a place where I could do a meetup. Like every Friday night or something. Yeah. Looking, I am putting out the word. If you are a restaurant owner, bar owner, maybe you have an awesome house and you just want to show it off. No, actually, not the house idea. I don't want to just go to someone's house. Yeah, I don't want to go to someone's house. Yeah. Who does? It's kind of creepy. But no, I'm looking for restaurants, looking for bars, do a meetup like on Friday nights and going to just see folks who listen. It's always good to put a face with Let me tell you, if you can get a Friday night group, that is, you talk about a dedicated group. Right. Uh, because Friday nights, Friday and Saturday nights are pretty sacred for most people. And if you can get people to dedicate a Friday night, right. amen. Yeah, Friday I mean, that's a night. dedicated group. I'd come from time to time. Yeah, exactly. I'd okay. come from time to time. Yeah. Do it on the, uh, if you do it on the east side of town, that's easier for me. Yeah. On the east I'm, side I'm of town? I'm out in the PR, so anything Chantilly or east would be good. Well, I have to admit to you right now. Do I'm it at the gym? fried. I'm a bit fried. You've been smoking pot, dude? No. I've been a bit fried and frustrated with this uh, Kavanaugh news. Because I saw it coming two weeks ago when Feinstein put out that... Cryptic... No, this cryptic statement that uh, we've got this confidential person. As soon as I saw that, well, it's not going to be confidential for long. No. 
and it's been a two-week barrage, and now you have Avenatti just over the top, like over the top accusation. And if that actually went on, my God, what was going on in the D.C. area? <laughs> my goodness. Well, here, here's the new Avenatti allegation. Uh, his client is not an aggrieved party. She's speaking out on behalf of some unnamed, unknown women right. that she supposedly saw get groped at a party during a two- to three-year period of time. She's not sure exactly when or where. Um, she was raped, but not by a, but not by a, a Kavanaugh. They were she, just present. Well, she doesn't even really say that. She was raped not by Kavanaugh. Um and uh, uh, she saw him in a line to rape someone, but doesn't know who, when, or where. And and I'm telling you, the fact that this has made the news and didn't immediately get filed into the wastebasket by right. everyone involved, that is not an affidavit. There's not an ounce of personal knowledge in that. I'm sorry she got raped. I think that's horrific. It's yes, terrible. it is terrible. But, but my goodness, that's not... That well, doesn't have anything to do with Kavanaugh. Why, yeah, exactly. Why is it being shared now? It's a phrase I keep coming back to. Truth told with bad intent, intent beats all the lies you can't invent. That it might very well happen to you. If I think it's very plausible that Christine Blasey Ford, something happened. I think something did happen to her. I don't think it was Kavanaugh. And you don't go into couples counseling and, and bring this up unless I think something in her past happened. Right. But to bring it up now, number one, if you're talking about relieving a traumatic incident, being able to look back at a terrible memory that has scarred you throughout your life and process that, yeah, let's do it on a national stage in a heated political environment. Yeah. It just... It, it, defies logic and it, it doesn't serve us well but i saw something that kind of made me hopeful because i buy into this idea that the nation is so divided right now where it's so divisive and so disgusting like the bottom the muckraking that we're bringing up to make our political arguments to win political power but i saw a fascinating breakdown at this point in our political process independent is the largest group the independent wins with a plurality. Now, Republicans and Democrats who identify as Republicans and Democrats put together are more than the independents. But if you take them as individual groups, independents are the largest Yeah, it, it breaks down something like 40, 30, 30. Here's the problem, though. Independents aren't really independents. Well, Because I've, I've polled this issue. Yeah. You, 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 you identify whether they're an independent, and then you ask who they voted for in the last three presidential elections, yeah. and they're consistently voting for Democrats at the national level. You ask who they right. vote for on local elections, they consistently vote for Democrats, or they consistently vote for Republicans. And so they may be calling themselves independents because I rise above politics. Sure. I am not tied down by party labels. Right. But they don't split their tickets. Right. <laughs> you know, the true ticket splitting, splitting independence about 10% of the country. Well, and it's because... And it's been 10% for 40 years. Well, and this is what's happened. Both parties have become more ideological. No, yeah. actually, in a way, though, Trump has broken the old school ideology of the Republican Party. I think he still wants low taxes, but there wasn't a strong call for borders or the way Trump has talked about trade. And at first, I was incredibly skeptical because I don't like the protectionist language. I just don't think it's true. I don't think it's economically true that you can raise taxes to make things fair and people more prosperous. Right. But I think now that I'm seeing what Trump's doing, like I saw it in the press conference today. Did you turn down, Mr. President, an opportunity to meet with Prime Minister Trudeau of Canada? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I did. Because I don't like how he's trying to negotiate with us. Yeah. They can go to hell. Their taxes is 300% on dairy. Like, I see what he's doing now. He's... 
playing hardball, he's negotiating, and it seems to me, as his economic advisor Larry Kudlow is saying, that the goal is no tariffs. The it goal is. is actual free trade. But you have to, actual free trade. But you have to point out that the other side is not engaging yes, in free trade. Absolutely. And how do you do that? By by removing your free trade that you're allowing them to put into your country. You remove that and say, well, we're just going to do the same thing. Because everybody said, you can't put tariffs on imports from Europe. That's ridiculous. Well, they have 25% tariffs on imports from us, import cars. This is what I like about Trump in the sense that there's, I think Trump is the number one reason there are more people identifying as independent. Because it's he's polarizing in a good way. It, and I it, I agree with you that people say, I'm an independent because I'm so above this stupid process. But they have a history and they actually have beliefs. But I've, I'm fascinated by the need to say I'm above politics, by the need to say I'm an independent. I think the biggest reform you could have in this country, politically speaking, would be to get rid of the two-party system. Now, I'm not about to go out and advocate for that because I don't think it's happening. But I think the stranglehold the two parties have on the process kind of, uh, well, I was going to use the word uh, retards the debate. It does. It's, I mean, it, it, in its truest sense of the word, it slows down the debate. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it doesn't catch up with where the people actually are. But again, I go, I go back to this, this notion that 40% of the country is independent. It's not. Forty percent of the country is not independent. It's about ten. It's about ten. Go back to Ronald Reagan's landslide election '84. It was fifty-five, forty-five. Mm-hmm. That is a complete one hundred percent whitewash because forty-five percent of the people are always going to vote Democrat, and forty-five percent of the people are always going to vote Republican. And then you have this ten percent in the middle that actually moves. And so when elections are won in the middle, that's fine. Now the forty-five percent may not show up if you nominate a dunderhead, right? Like John McCain or Mitt Romney, they may sit home. But they're not going to show up and vote for Barack Obama. Right. There's about 10% of the country who moves. And so they move one way or the other. Or they may go out and vote for some third party every now and then. Or they may say, well, I'm a Republican. I like what the Republicans say. I like what the... But what you're finding is they have no core principle. Why are they they an independent? Because they have no core principle on which to base their lives. And you're reminding me of something during the campaign in 2016. George Will wrote this op-ed... Uh, you know, the statecraft is soulcraft, that author. George Will, and I haven't seen him on TV in a while, I wonder why. But uh, maybe he's writing about baseball again. But uh, George Will wrote this thing about this isn't Goldwater's Republican Party anymore now in this new era of Trump. Like, hey, George Will, where the hell have you been, man? Where the F have you been? Really, Mitt Romney and John McCain were Barry Goldwater Republican? George W. Bush was a Barry Goldwater Republican? Bob Dole. George H.W. Bush. Bob Dole. You shove it up your ass, George Will. But and all you folks said we were this free market party, limited government. No, you weren't. And Trump called you on it. That's and, exactly right. And I, looking back now, he needed to call people on it. Donald Trump is the greatest thing. I have had two people, separate people, both women, in the last 24 hours send me a text. Both women mm-hmm. say I would take a bullet for that man or I would die for him. I would give wow. my life for Donald Trump. Out of the blue... Both of them local, I'm not prompting, not not either one of them was I talking to. These are just texts I got out of the blue. Said, you know, either send me an article, and then underneath it, it said, I would take a bullet for that man. Or one of them texted today and said, are you listening to the God Emperor on the television as we speak? I would die for him. Wow. And you know what the reality is? Nobody felt that way about Barack Obama. Nobody felt that way about George W. I Bush. I think there are a few people who would die for Barack Obama. 
I'm just calling you out there. These, I think they there were a lot these of are these are traditional them. people who are more in that ten percent that moves, mm-hmm. uh, or in the more in the conservative. Oh, okay, I see, see what, what I'm saying. Mean. There weren't cons- uh, no, and I agree. There weren't people I think that would die for W. No, that would they would die for the country, but not for W or Dole or we have maybe been, Reagan. Particularly on the right, we have been told. Year after year after year after year, election after election after election, this is the most important election of your life. If you don't get out and vote, the socialists will take over and the world will end as you know it. 91% of Americans, regardless of party, 91% of Americans polled in the 2008 election said that there were too many immigrants, illegal and legal, coming into the country. 91%. Mm. Uh, The number in the Republican Party was like 94%. And then Democrats like eighty six. I mean, it was it, both no, parties were overwhelming. Right, too many immigrants coming in. Neither party did anything about it. The Democrats became the party of flat out open borders, and the Republicans came became the party of covert open borders. Yes, they, they became the Chamber of Commerce and, and, and seized and, on it. And so, what the, the best thing a Republican can do? If you're Mitch McConnell, if you're Paul Ryan, who's who's now leaving, but if you're taking Paul Ryan's place, the best thing a Republican can do is to be in the minority. The Republican Party wants to exist in the political minority. They don't want to have to legislate. You know why? Because the donors and the voters have two totally disparate interests. The donors want to make a profit off of commoditizing humanity in the United States and exfiltrating our wealth out of the United States into other parts of the world. Mm. And to bring in cheap labor into the United States to replace expensive labor that already exists in the United the States. Whole globalist that's game. the globalist corporatist mindset. That's mm-hmm. that's the donor class. The voting class wants to keep their damn jobs. Mm. They want to get up in the morning and go to work. They want to be able to afford two weeks of vacation down at the Gulf of Mexico. They want to be able to put their kids in a decent school system. They want to drive a car that's 10 years old or newer. And they want to be able to pass on something, even if it's just 50 grand when they die to their kids. That's what the voters want. And that interest directly conflicts with what the donors want. And if you're a Republican, if you're Paul Ryan or Mitch McConnell, that scares the hell out of you. Because once you get the majority, you have to follow through on one or the other. You either go with the donors and piss off every voter, or you go with the voters and piss off every donor. Both of them, you cannot win either way. And that's just reality. That's the Republican Party that Donald Trump walked into mm-hmm. in 2016. When he descended that golden escalator, that's what he was walking into. Man, folks, I just have to say this because I'm getting the live show right in front of me. Barron was pointing at me. He was passionate. He believes this. And I have to say, sir, when you get going like that on one of those rants, you're a good-looking man. <laughs> I understand why your show's so popular. <laughs> but you gave me an idea. On the radio, Joe. You gave me an idea. Yeah. The two women that have texted you yeah, and said, both of them. I would die for the president. Right. Made me think of something where uh, I hope some magic, magical magician of editing, audio and video, mm-hmm. could put together a compilation of Donald Trump reading these lyrics. Because if they're willing to die for him, he should be able to say, I would die for you. And so my Trump impersonation is not the greatest, but I'm going to give it the good old college try, ladies and gentlemen. I want Donald Trump to come out to the nation. Like, a special address doesn't have to be from the Oval Office behind the, you know, the desk, but maybe go to the Rose Garden. Yeah, the Rose Garden. That's it. But kind of the twilight as dusk is coming in. Oh, mm, yeah, that's the setting. Mm-hmm. Have Trump walk up to the podium and say, I'm not a woman. I'm not a man. I am something. <laughs> That you'll never understand. I'll never beat you. I'll never lie. And if you're evil, I'll forgive you by and by. Because you, I would die for you. Yeah. 
<laughs> darling, if you want me to, you, I would die for hey, you. Hey, can, can we can we do darling Nikki in Trump's voice? I'm not your lover. <laughs> I'm not your friend. I'm something that you'll never comprehend. No need to worry. No need to cry, America. I'm something you'll never comprehend. I'm your messiah. And you're the reason why. Uh, yeah, we can do Darling Nikki and Trump's Yeah, let's, let's not do it on air. Oh, we we yeah. want to keep our job. Yeah. Well, I knew I don't a girl know named Nikki. I guess you could say she was a... Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, nope. oh, no. And we don't want to know what she's doing with the magazine. As you could say, I came at her like a... Uh, no. <coughs> yeah, like that Hollywood type. Uh, but no, we got to hit another break. We're having yeah. too much fun. I, I needed to get revved up today. Um, and your passion it revved me. Well, you know what? I, I do get passionate about this. Mm-hmm. You do. Because, uh, you know, I'm... I have an open mind. I am still very much sticking to my principles. But as, take w- a one example. The issue of free trade. The more I looked at it, what they were calling free trade over the last two decades, BS! Yeah, not free at all. Not free at all. Yeah. Not fair. Not free. It is. It was government, global management of trade and people. Yeah. Because, oh, you say we're managing trade, we're regulating the economy. No, that means you regulate people. Yeah. And so to see somebody upsetting that apple cart, ter- oh, it'd be a shame if I tore this system down. It would yeah. be a shame. To see that actually gives me hope. Now, do we actually get real free trade is my hope. And it, to see Larry Kudlow in the White House gives me even more hope. We'll see. But I think the EU is full of crap. You know, I can understand why China's playing the game China's playing, because they still need to develop. They still have billions in poverty. And they need to be able to sell things to the United States markets. I get that. And they want to be able to protect their industries at the same time. I get their interest in it. I don't think it's right, and I hope Trump wins this negotiation, but I get their interest. The one trading block that I can't freaking stand is the European Union. Yeah. Because they they will be in the dustbin of history if they keep going down this road. And the way they're treating the United Kingdom right now is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I want to read something real quickly. I know you got to go to a break. Very, very quickly from Trump's speech yesterday. Hmm. He said, we believe that trade must be fair and reciprocal. The United States will no longer be taken advantage of. For decades, the United States opened its economy, the largest by far on earth with few conditions. We allowed foreign goods from all over the world to flow freely across our border. Yet other countries did not grant us fair and reciprocal access to their markets in return. Even worse, some countries abuse their openness to dump their products, subsidize their goods, target our industries, manipulate their currencies to gain unfair advantage over our country. No president has ever spoken like that, ever. Well, and to that I would say the freest and fairest trade would be EU, you have no tariffs? We have no tariffs. Right. And maybe we'll get there. Trump even suggested it at the G7, but you left out something he said in his speech. Hmm. I would die for you. <laughs> no, but before we hit this break, Baron, let's talk about uh, Teresa over at Four healthy pets on the Atlanta Highway. She saved my dog's life. That's all I can say. My dog was on the path to not feeling well. She was miserable. And uh, I didn't realize it was the diet for the big box store I was getting, the cheap food. Yeah. It was killing her. Well, I know a woman who adopted a cat. And the owner, before she adopted it, fed that cat that crap. Yeah. And essentially, that cat got a thyroid condition. Probably took a few years off the cat's life. Now, she's been feeding the cat more natural, high-quality products. You can find all sorts of products like that over at Four Healthy Pets on the Atlanta Highway. Isn't it when you're driving by, it says Village East in that shopping center? the HealthWise Food Shopping Center, where the old Skate Haven was. Well, and here's another perspective on this. I just saw a friend. She said she got a... 
an email from one of those big box stores saying, does your dog want more? Like, you don't even know my dog's name. Yeah. You're just some corporate office blasting out on the email. You don't even know. Corporatists. But if you go by Four Healthy Pets, it's family and friends all day, every day. Teresa will get to know you, get to know your dog, get to know your cat, get to know your pet. Providing high-quality products that will keep your dog or cat or any pet healthy. And also, those little treats. Get that dog some chicken crack. Chicken crack. Get get, the, go in and ask for the chicken crack. Get that cat some meowana. <laughs> Very cleverly branded me, uh, catnip. Just check out Four Healthy Pets on the Atlanta Highway or fourhealthypetsonline.com. Fourhealthypetsonline.com. Tell Teresa, Joey said hi, Baron said hi. He won't be disappointed. It's, it's, it's the favorite. It's the best thing I've ever done for my dog. Absolutely. Well, folks, we would die for you if you wanted us to. Joey Clark. Welcome back. Another cut off the Blizzard of Oz. You looking at me, you looking at you. I swear that song's not about Baron and I. I was just telling Joey he was a sexy beast during the break. The feeling is mutual, sir. I mean that in the most platonic way, absolutely. It wasn't platonic on my end. What is it? You know the multiple endings in Wayne's World? So funny that you brought up Wayne's World. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. With the multiple endings. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the one guy who's like the lackey for the big boss. And he's like, and I learned that two men can have a platonic relationship and be friends. Uh, That's the second Wayne's World reference I've seen today. Oh, really? Somebody else said we were a little uh, party on Wayne, party on Garth early in the program because we were talking early 80s rock and roll. Well, you know, uh, and I feel like I can get away with saying this because it's late at night. If there are any children listening, please turn off your radio dials. Or, you know, if you actually are listening, you don't have to do what I say. Uh, But I got in trouble for stuff I wrote in my yearbook. Yeah? Because of Wayne's World. But this was 8th grade, and we were writing Wayne's World references in our yearbooks in the back of them. So, like, swing! <laughs> well, and then one quote I wrote for the movie, you remember the scene where they go up to Rob Lowe's, you know, high-rise apartment? Mm-hmm. And Wayne's out there talking to Rob Lowe and, and, what is it, Cassandra or whatever? Yeah. And Garth snooping around the place. And he goes into Rob Lowe's uh, bedroom. And he opens up one of the drawers in the dresser, and he pulls out a provolactic, yeah. a condom, and he goes, rib for her pleasure. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> well, I wrote that exactly in the back of somebody's yearbook. We all got in trouble. <laughs> like, it's just a quote from a movie. Get yeah. over it. It's a little crass. It is, a but it's, it's funny You wouldn't want me. your eighth grader writing that in someone's yearbook. Yeah, but we learn. We watch these movies. We enjoy. Well, okay, here's another example where my dad messed up. My dad said, Joey can go see Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. And <laughs> How I was, old were you? Oh, man. 
It was when the movie came out. When did yeah. that movie come out? Let me look it up real quick. Austin well, I think I was like 13 when Wayne's World came out. The movie. This is the second Austin Powers. That came out in 1999. So I had to oh, be wow. 11. Oh, wow. because I was in college. I was like 10 or 11. Mm. Which means my brother was like 6 or 7. Oh, no. And my uncle... And my dad convinced my mom not just to let Joey, the 10, 11-year-old, go to <laughs> this PG-13 movie. Is it really PG-13? Wow. But also let my brother, who was six or seven, go. And they told him, as we're in the theater, as we're leaving the theater, okay, Will, we're letting you watch an adult movie with all sorts of sexual themes. Be cool. Young Will, my brother, especially when he was younger, he had this blonde hair with a bold cut. And, you know, it looked like somebody really just put a ball and clipped on it. He was this adorable <laughs> little kid, but he had this mischievous look on his face constantly. Why? Because he was mischievous. Right. So we're like, dude, play it cool. Do not say anything to mom about what you just witnessed on that screen because it's hilarious. We'd love to be able to bring you to more movies. Yeah. So as soon as we pull up in the driveway, I don't know if mom was looking, but Will goes up to one of the parked cars to like one of the headlights, starts humping it and goes, Minnie me, stop humping the laser. We're like, no, what have we done? We told you to play it cool, Will. We told you to play it cool. Later that year, later that year, we're sitting around all the whole family. And, you know, again, I'm like 11. He's like, seven or six or whatever is it Dan he's young and like Joey what should you go as for Halloween and Will my little brother just shouts out in front of aunts uncles my mother and father Joey you could go as fat bastard (laughs) how old was he like six (laughs) and my mom shoots this look at my dad and my uncle like daggers you know what I was just doing? But it's still a great moment. I was looking up your brother so I could get a visual of what Will he might Clark. have looked at yeah. as a kid. That's why I just found him on Facebook. He looks good now. No, I sat down He's for... He's a good-looking uh, man. Yeah, sure. ...for um, his fiance's white coat ceremony down in Dothan Sunday. Yeah. And I sat down, and I was meeting uh, her side of the family. And, you know, look at me. Like, I'm... I look how I look. And they look, turn their head and they go, So are you the younger brother? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, because I got my hippie hair going on and my yoga bod going on. I'm the younger brother. Yeah, I know he's wearing a sports coat. It's hot outside. I'm not wearing a coat. Would you wear a Ric Flair shirt? No, I wore, like, these pants, these okay. kind of stretchy nice khakis. Pants, yeah. But then, like, one of those V-necks I wear. Okay, yeah. I think I wore the pink one. Yeah. Or the salmon-colored one. Well. Yeah. It takes, it takes a special man to pull that off at yeah, a it was business pink. casual event. Right. Well, you know. And I already told Troy this on Monday, but the best moment, well, number one, one guy who came down and got his white coat was named Benjamin Butters. No. And I was like, oh, wow. That must, I wish it was Benjamin Butters the third. Son, you're Butters. You're better than this. <laughs> but no, the best part was Saeed something. Uh, I can't remember the guy's last name, but his first name was Saeed. It's like, Saeed something, come get your white coat. And from the back of the auditorium, people are s- supposed to hold their applause. Yeah. And of course, everybody's wooing when their particular child or friend sure. is across. But Saeed something. And from the back of the room, you go, oh, my God, Saeed's a doctor. <laughs> it's like, no. He's got you know eight years ahead of him. But oh, it was a good moment. That's fun. But people confuse me for the younger brother now because I'm, you know, that hip and cool. Yeah, well, you are hip and cool. Not really. I don't know. I mean, you're hipper and cooler than I am. I mean, I'm kind of like an old fuddy-duddy. You know, there's a part of me, 
I said this last night. I don't know if you're listening. What time? Like, like uh, I don't know. Okay, go ahead. What did you say? It was, about, you. And it was about at this time. It all comes in cycles. <laughs> all, right, all right. Sometimes you think, I don't know what I'm doing. But I know. It's like clockwork. It's rhythms. It's like, you know, natural family plan. I know it's all about rhythms. rhythms, brother. It's rhythms. If anybody went to Catholic school knows what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, consistency. Um, anyway, last night I was having this conversation with Christy, and I was like, you know, that Baron Coleman guy, I really like him, and I really do like you. You're a good good friend. You're becoming a good friend. Yeah, Even better absolutely. Friends. You know what? He's almost too charming. He's almost too good. I've got my eye on you, Coleman. Was this uh, was this about the time you mentioned me in my chocolate affair? Yeah, it yeah. was. Okay, I remember hearing that. You with your sea salt, salt caramel chocolate. I love chocolate. I mean, I am not going to lie. I'm an absolute chocolate chocolate junkie. People, you know, when I really when it, I've always liked chocolate. You know, mm-hmm. when it took off, I used to chew Copenhagen. Yeah, I quit, and then I wanted some something something to, in your mouth to pass. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, something that you know in your mouth. You have an oral fixation. No, I, I understand. <laughs> no, with people Something that, that's publicly that acceptable. Snuff, people that dip snuff, yeah. like you get an oral fixation well, more than just the nicotine. And it's not just that, but it, chocolate has a little boost. It makes you feel yeah. good. It, uh, it And so I started buying, and I justified it by saying, <clears throat> I'm not spending $5 on a can of Copenhagen. Right. So I can go spend 3 or $4 on a nice chocolate bar, you know, imported from Belgium or Spain. Yeah, we're not or, talking Hershey's. We're talking... No, I don't need... I mean... Like, you mostly are an American-made guy, but when it comes to chocolate, the Europeans got something right. They do. They yeah. do. And, and, like, German chocolates in particular, Belgian, Spanish chocolates. Mm. So I like good chocolate. And I started buying like four, five, six, eight good chocolate bars and then carrying one around with me and over the course of a day or two, eat one of the bars of chocolate. <clears throat> and it just became sort of a... A passion. I mean, yeah. it really did. I really You're love chocolate. About and you, chocolate. I can blind taste test chocolate and usually tell you where it's wow. from. Usually tell you where it's from. Wow. I've been trying not to eat sweets because I go off the wagon. I ate 20 cookies and a whole gallon of milk on Saturday. What? Yeah. Joey. Yeah, I know. That's a little much. When I go off the wagon, I go off the wagon, brother. What? 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 Yeah. I, no, and I felt fine the next day. 20 odd. cookies? Yeah, 20 chocolate chip cookies. And a whole gallon of milk. You know what that would do to my blood sugar? I wouldn't be. I mean, at two hours later, I'd be no, borderline I did dead. It, I did it later at night, and I took. Na- I slept all night. Yeah, I might not wake up. Yeah. What kind of cookies? Like chocolate chip? Chocolate chip. Where'd you get them? Fresh market. They were already made. Yeah. They're not like break and bake. No. But they were good. You ate twenty not fresh cookies? No, but they were done right. Where okay. they're still soft. And, oh, you know, yeah. a supple chocolate chip cookie dipped in some milk, and I get that ultra filtered milk, so it's not as bad on the digestive system. What's ultra filtered? I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's it's filtered. I don't know, it's like filtered. Fair Life or something like that. Is what you know, I drink natural milk, like raw but milk. Anyway, we're getting oh, we're sorry. getting way <laughs> off the beaten path here. The reason I bring up that you know, maybe he's almost too good is not to really explore that, but more to explore me. Because I have this problem, or even people, like, and I might have brought this up with you before. Like, say we just met, and I genuinely am interested, what do you do? And you say, I'm a lawyer, and I'm a talk radio show host. Yeah. Part of me would go, absolutely cool, let's ask him more questions. What type of talk radio, what type of law has he practiced? I'm sure he's got all sorts of interesting, interesting stories about cases he's worked. I mean, lawyers see a lot of stuff. That's one side of my brain. The other side of my brain's like, he's making it up. 
He's making it. Oh, you say you're a lawyer. He's blowing smoke <laughs> up your ass, Joey. Yeah, and so Joey, it's I'll cons- show you my law licenses. They're on. They're right. online. No, but I'm saying this is a problem. It's a constant fight in my own brain. Like, yeah. Okay. Oh, so you're president? Sure you are. Mr. Trump? Mr. Trump, sure you're president. Oh, President Trump. Last I saw you were getting your head shaved in a stone-cold stunner on the (laughs) WWE. You're going to be president now? They need to come out with a Back to the Future 4 (laughs) solely to riff off of that Ronald Reagan line in the first one. Who's the president? Ronald Reagan. The actor! You come back in like twenty. You come back in like nineteen ninety four. Say, who's the president? Donald Trump, the Playboy billionaire. <laughs> so I get this thing where I don't really take people to work, but I do, and it's a constant fight. It's my cynicism is really what it is. But then I also get this thing where it's like, hmm, it's too good to be true. You know, there's one person out there, not you. Hmm. Uh, you're we're good, we're on good terms. Yeah, you're yeah, gonna yeah. be probably the next one in the Hall of Fame. No kidding. The Joey Clark Radio Hour Hall of Fame. Joey, that's the most meaningful thing I've ever heard. And I thank you for that in that tone of voice, too. But <laughs> I think I might have made a massive mistake. Uh-oh. You By putting Southern Wood in? Yeah. I told you you shouldn't have been the inaugural person. I warned you, Joey. Well, here's the thing. I wake up in the morning. He's calling the morning show. I wake up and continue through my day. He's on your show or calling your show. Oh, I know. I trust me. I know more than anybody. Right. And then he's calling Dan's show. I've heard him. Yeah. And then he's hanging out in the parking lot during Greg's show. Hey, can I come in? Hey, okay. So now he's calling into Greg's show and he's occasionally on it. Then he's yeah. always on my show. I mean, I'm the one to blame because I invite him, but I feel the need. You created Southern World. Yeah. He's so damn charming. Oh, he man. won't go away. And I started thinking to myself, this guy's the herpes of talk radio. <laughs> It flares up every once in a while, and it's a little annoying, but other than that, it's manageable. (laughs) So what do you do if you have, say, herpes? Well, if you can't join it, or if you can't beat it, join it, or put it in the Hall of Fame, own it. But uh, I don't know if I want to be in your Hall of Fame anymore. No, I people are gonna get the wrong idea. Right? No, you would be something else. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to. Let, let's make it way something else. Hey, yeah. how about this? Yeah, you, you, you got a cynical side? Oh yeah. Is there anything you've ever wanted to ask me that you know I can answer on here? But I mean, anything you've <laughs> <laughs> you, you know things about me we can't talk about on here. Sure. Uh, but is there anything that that you could ask me that would help quell uh, your cynicism? Hmm. No. Okay. No, because I we've had real conversations so. I'm, my point was, like, if I had just met you and you oh. say you're a lawyer or a talk radio show host. Yeah. But I remember when you came on air with your show and, like, we've gotten to know each other. So that cynicism sort of dies off. I see what you're saying. But when I first meet people, I, I try to take them at face value what they say, but they're just... And maybe it's uh, more me looking in the mirror. Me going, hmm. You're cynical you of yourself? Yeah, you don't always follow through. It's, a, it's a, this imposter syndrome crap. It's like, oh, I feel like a fraud. Wow, Joey. You're listening to the Joey Clark Therapy Hour. No kidding. Um, go ahead and lie down. We'll talk through this. Go ahead and I'm not lie, closing lie, my eyes. Lie, no, clo- do what you have. We'll talk through this. I'm keeping so, my eyes open. But, but you know, it's an open door policy. Anything you've if you get cynical of me, you uh, you ask. Okay. I, I will answer your questions on air or off air. Mm. The things you know I can talk about on air. Don't don't be asking me questions you know I can't talk about. Okay, on air questions. Okay, here's one. All right. Have you ever played up a story that you didn't actually believe in? Um, 
uh, uh, because a, a I can, biographical story about myself? No, 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 no. I, okay. No, a news story where you're like, if you're actually t- asking, being asked about yeah. it off air, you're like, oh yeah, this happened. Yeah, have but I ever, because uh, you're yeah. on. You got to be on. Let, let me let you into a little because I'll answer it beforehand. Say yes, I have okay. done this, I, and I have as well. And and here's why. Um, somebody, a, a nemesis of mine, a, a, a former uh, <laughs> a former talk radio host in town, who's, who's just a terrible human being. Uh, oh, man, he, boobs. Yeah, he gets on. He gets on um, on Facebook every now and then and complains. And his complaint yesterday on Facebook <clears throat> was that News Talk ninety three point one is all about the profit. You know, it's all about the dollar. <laughs> yeah. They're not worried about covering local news. Well, here, here's the deal. Okay. Okay. You have, I think, a mix of, of really good talent. And I'll exclude myself from this conversation because it, it's, it's unbecoming to talk about yourself that way. But uh, you have some really good talent. Just on the morning show alone, there's like over 120 years of broadcast experience or 100 yes. years of broadcast experience. Yes. Uh, that's, that's a really talented cast. Um, Jack Campbell uh, has been in the political consulting business for 35 plus years he in this knows community. Everybody in Montgomery. Everybody. I had breakfast with him. He's like, "Well, that's so and so." His institutional knowledge of politics in Alabama is is really borderline unparalleled, and unrivaled. Sorry for doing an impersonation, Jack, but you do kind of like, "Well, that's so and so," and they got kids. That's how he does it. That's how he sounds. Dan Morris. Everybody knows his background Absolutely. and his pattern. Uh, you have been in, in broadcasting for what a decade now? Seven years. Okay, so going on a decade, you you've got like four shows. Yes, uh, and again. You get back to the afternoon, it's you and Budell, mm-hmm. and then you now have your own program. So, um, you know, we have an un- unparalleled, I think, in Alabama talk radio lineup from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. Right. So that goes without standing, saying. It's also, if you look at the ratings books, incredibly highly rated, particularly yeah. when you delve into specific dem- demographics that don't traditionally score well on talk radio, right. like women. I mean, there are segments of the female population in certain hours that are scoring like 10, 11 shares. On these shows. We love women. We love women, and women love us. Yes. They do. Hopefully. All right? So now, well, what I'm saying is, you don't have to be all about the dollar, but you have to know what works and what doesn't work. Mm. I could get on from 9 to noon every day and rail against local issues. I could talk yeah. about the potholes on Wares Ferry. I could talk about the school board and, and why Lisa Keith's not doing enough and why Melissa Snowden's a joke. And right. I, I could rail on it. I could talk about Todd Strange. Why aren't you doing something, Mayor Strange? You know what I would be if I did that? unemployed. Yeah. Because the ratings would go in the tank, the callers would hate it, nobody would respect what we do as a station up here. And so have I ever played up a story and acted like I cared more about it? Yeah, because you know what? There's a certain performance art to any broadcast medium. Yes. Whether it's television or radio or anything else. Well, and here's how I approach it. I think that we're here to inform, yes, but we're also here to entertain. I don't find gotcha crap entertaining. Or it's like a scandal every day and somebody messed up. I don't find that entertaining. I Sometimes I feel icky. Um, but number two, I think we can entertain because the medium allows for it. People can pick up their phones and find local news. Yeah, People can watch television and find a pretty straightforward local news. Like yeah. with the Alabama News Network. Right. And this is why they partner with the morning show. But what radio has the ability to do is you can actually let out a conversation. That not only means mm, we can delve into a topic in more specific and nuanced ways, but it also means you can bring personality. Yeah. I was just having a conversation uh, with my aunt. Some of you might know her as Kim Hendricks. Yeah. Used to be on WSFA. Sure. And I asked her, did you ever feel like you're pigeon-held? Because, you know, it, not because of what WSFA did, but just the nature of broadcast news. You've got a short segment. We've got to get in and out. 
Um, we got to stick to the facts. The who, what, when, where, why. And you can't really express who Kim is. And she said, absolutely. It's yeah. what did frustrate me. In radio, we're allowed to do that. And I think you might love or hate somebody. That's the whole point. Every personality is going to have people that love and hate it. And that's what I want to amp up. It's, inter- it's an entertainment medium. And I'm not to say we're entertainers and what we cover is not true. But if you do it in a monotone, boring, or, or, or disgruntled, or nasty way, yeah. people don't like it. They're not entertained. They don't tune in. People want to be tuned. People want to... They're, they're choosing between Bama Country and Kiss and Gump and us and right. Jams. And they want to be entertained, whether it's through music or through the personalities. So do we play up a story from time to time? Yes. Sure. But we cover it accurately and fairly. And here's the second point I'll make about that. A lot of times people get disappointed when they meet me in person. <laughs> yes. The same they do. Yeah. They do. And it's, you can almost see the disappointment in their face. Oh, it's you. Uh, and here's the deal, too. Yeah. They'll catch me in the parking lot or they'll catch me out at a restaurant somewhere and they'll say, well, you're nothing like you are on the air. You know why? Because it's an art. It's a performance art. It it's is. entertainment. We yeah. have fun. It's still accurate. It's still informative, yeah. but it's entertainment. Well, and sometimes I'll get bored myself. That's why I'll play something up just to do an interesting twist. Yeah. But it reminds me, you know, the writer, poet Charles Bukowski? No. But he's kind of known for his pulp and interesting guy. But he said when he had some modicum of fame that he'd meet women. And because he's a poet and he would write about really dirty, honest subjects, whether or not you liked it, it was honest. You could not take that from Bukowski. He said, but when women meet me and people who idolize my writing, these women, they expect I'm constantly spouting profundities and shooting fire out of my ass and flying around with angel's wings. No, I want to sit on my butt on the couch, my gut hanging out and have a beer occasionally and not say anything. Yeah. And so everybody's a normal person. Well, like a Stephen King or a Tom Wolfe, one of the, some of the greatest American literature heroes of the last 50 years in this country. Names mm-hmm. everybody knows. Would you go meet them in person? They're probably duds. Right. You know, uh, y- 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 you can name any major talk radio national figure or even local. And you know what? I don't yell and scream when I'm at Midtown Pizza Kitchen at lunch. I'm right. tired. I've just been on the radio three hours. And that's not really how I act Right. out in person. Well, I'm glad we, we covered this, and uh, I just want to make something clear before we go off air and before the recording cuts off. Mm-hmm. I don't actually think Southern Wood is the herpes of talk radio, but here's I the do. thing. When somebody... Oh, fair enough. I'm but when kidding. somebody, yes, becomes such a good friend, yeah, you can insult them to your face. Well, I'm a little insulted I'm not yet in the Hall of Fame. <clears throat> if it's not a collection oh, good. of... Good, you should feel that way. If it's not a VD collection, I'll be happy to be inducted one day. I'll, I'll desire to be inducted one day. But if it is a VD collection, you can just be Southern Wood. <laughs> yeah, but what if you were like some exotic venereal disease? Uh, Wouldn't you be like syphilis, the guy, the, the disease that took down Nietzsche? And George Washington. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's Baron Coleman. No, 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 it's not. <laughs> I can assure you it's not. I'll be back tomorrow night, folks. Thanks for listening. Let me, let me.